Caleb and Holly and Peter. Appreciate you guys. Kind of an unplugged feel today. So I uh, appreciate that. Thanks for leading us in musical worship. It's, uh, it's a great way for us to kind of get our minds focused in on, on what God wants to um, speak to us about today. And um, so I just want to thank those guys uh, for coming on up and doing that. So here's the crew from yesterday. I kind of like the, you know, I like the, things are going on. Things are happening. And uh, here's the crew from yesterday. That is my hand. There is dirt on that hand. Just some of you guys were like, oh, you didn't do any work. You just made everybody else do it. Though I did get to drive the uh, front loader for a while, too. That was kind of fun. Um, but all those guys, a guy back there in the yellow is one of my neighbors. And uh, he offered to steal his friend's front loader and, and come on over. Um, so anyways, appreciate that. You guys appreciate you guys being here and doing that and helping us with that. Um, Greg Walter was here for you ladies. Um, he was taking care of a need for you, and that is there's a, now a light above the back, the third stall in the women's restroom. Uh, it's been bugging, not that I use it, but um, <laughs> it's been bugging me because like, there have been times where I, you know, I'm one of the people who come clean to church, and so I'm in there cleaning, and I'm like, I can't even see what I'm cleaning. And then some other ladies were like, you know, it's kind of dark back there. And I'm like, not that I know, but yes, you're right. And um, so Greg came over and took care of that. Appreciate that. Um, but again, another project that we're able to take care of and make our church uh, look more presentable, a little more up to date, I guess, maybe if you want to put it that way. And I know it's always dangerous to talk about money in church, but as we've talked about, you guys, when you give financially, you're not giving to the church you're giving to yourself. Uh, you're giving to what it is that God wants to do in and through us as a church family. And God's blessed us through you, and we've been doing real well budget-wise, and so we've got some things that we're clicking off from that. If, whoa, almost fell off the stage. Um, that would not have been good right on top of all the communion stuff. But, you know, we've, we've got like three big projects that we're trying to accomplish. We've got the HVAC system purchased. We just need to get it into the building. Um, we're getting some prices on the uh, driveway out here, trying to get that resealed and repaved and repainted. And then, of course, the big one would be our roof and making sure that's taken care of. But the landscaping thing, we went ahead and did because we were doing well, you know, so uh, financially. So we thought, you know, hey, let's go ahead and get that nailed. So we did it, got it taken care of. So anyways, just want to say that, uh, appreciate that. And as we look for the, towards the fall and into the summer, planning that way. We're having that brainstorm meeting on the 26th, and so some of the finances that we bring in here as a church family and kind of bring them together, um, we're going to use that to impact people for Christ. Uh, also, be praying for the two families that are going to be having neighborhood barbecues, uh, intentionally building relationships with their neighbors uh, with the hope that at some point maybe they can have a conversation with them about the Lord. So that's some of the things we want to be pushing towards and working towards. So I hope you're taking time during uh, each day, if possible, certainly during each week, to be spending time in 1 Timothy. That's where we're in in our current series. Uh, so go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2 we're going to be in today. But um, again, one of the important things, and we, we learned about it last week, we're going to hear more about it as we go through 1 Timothy, the importance for people who are part of a church family to be reading, studying, knowing God's Word in order for them to, number one, hold back on any false teaching that might come their way, but also to know what it means to be the family of God. What does it mean to be part of a church? What's my responsibility? What's my role? What should I be doing uh, in what God wants to do? And if we're not in God's Word, 
We don't know those things, and so we need to be in it. And then when you come on um, Sundays, you'll be like more with me. You'll be kind of catching, oh yeah, I remember reading about that, and I remember asking that question. I was wondering about that. And on Thursday nights, we're actually doing a study through First Timothy. We're a little further ahead of what we're, where we are on Sundays. But again, the whole idea there is to know it well, so when we hear it, we respond to it. Now, it's summertime, so like I said, people are in and out, um, you know, missing a week or two and then coming back and that kind of stuff. So let me give you a real quick review if I possibly can. I don't know if there's anything about me and teaching that's quick, but uh, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, week number one, we actually started halfway through this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor um, that was trained by Paul. He's in the city of Ephesus, and Ephesus is a very well-known city. It's, a, it's a, kind of like the New York of that area. Um, and so he's writing to, Paul, uh, to Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, um, that he's writing, he has a purpose for writing, and then he also wants to give the purpose of the church. So his purpose for writing is say, how do we conduct ourselves in the household of God? In other words, how do we, as followers of Christ, and it's for us today, so how do we live and together as a church? What's our focus? What's our purpose? What's our responsibilities? How should we set up leadership in a church? And where should we be going? And all this kind of stuff, he's addressing it in a very general way in 1 Timothy. And then he, he gives us what God says is our purpose as a church. And he uses three descriptive phrases. One is household of God. And the household of God really focuses in on this idea of being a family. God is our father. We are his children. And you and I, those of us who place our faith in Christ, are brothers and sisters. Okay, so we are a family. And so any good family would look to their good father to understand how it is we're supposed to be operating as a family. And so we're a household of God. Then he calls us the church of the living God. Church just means called out ones. Um, and we are called out of the world to be the church, the called out ones of the living God. And so they well, what's that? Next descriptive phrase, we're pillars and support of the truth. So just like a pillar, and again, back in that day, they're looking at the, the Temple of Diana, which was a massive structure with 127 pillars. And just as those pillars um, were honoring and glorifying to Diana, the, the goddess of fertility, that's, that was her thing, you know, so they, as they were worshiping her, they also believed she was a life-giving god, which is kind of interesting, where the household of the living God, you know, so it's kind of, Paul's kind of zinging them a little bit there, but just as those things represented their God and, and showed the beauty and the honor of their God, we as Christians are the pillar in support of the truth of the gospel, and we represent God. That's what our responsibility is here on earth. That's why when you come to Christ, it doesn't take you right to heaven, because we're the pillar in support of the truth. So we live out our lives as individuals, and then together as a church. And together as a church, we're representing to the world who God is. And, and that's going to play into, especially what we're going to be talking about next week, which is a pretty controversial issue, especially today, um, in this day and age. And so you can come back next week for that. Um, we're, we're kind of struggling as pastors on this one, because we felt like we needed to go through First Timothy. But we also want people to feel comfortable inviting people to church who don't know the Lord. But then when you go through a book like this, that's really kind of heady and really kind of focused on Christians, we're always kind of torn, you know, do you invite somebody to hear about whether women should be in leadership in the church or not? I mean, that's what we're talking about next week. Um, and what does God say about that? So we'll leave it up to you as to whether that would be something your unsaved friends need to hear first off. 
or not, uh, or maybe wait till the, to the fall uh, when we do that. So um, then last week we talked about, we went back to the beginning, and we looked at in 1 Timothy 1 the fact that we are to protect the gospel. It was first and foremost the responsibility of the pastor of the church to protect the gospel, the purity of the gospel, what the gospel really was. And there were some teachers in Ephesus and actually throughout all the churches um, in the world of that day, just like there is today, there is a potential for having people come in and say, no, the gospel is actually something else. And so Paul was saying to Timothy, hey, protect the gospel. Protect the purity of the gospel. I've entrusted it to you. You need to entrust it to Timothy. Timothy, you need to entrust it to other faithful men who will entrust it to other faithful men. But we've got to protect the purity. And so as a church, we need to do that. Certainly as a pastor, I need to be doing that. And it's, a, it's an awesome message. And we said that it's glorious. It's awesome. For man to add to it or take away from it is not only arrogant on the part of man, but also very destructive because we're leading people away from what the truth really is. And if they're moving away from the truth, they may find an eternity separated from God and think they had it right, but they didn't. And then every doctrine in the Bible is somehow or another connected to the gospel. And if we get the gospel wrong, we'll get our doctrine wrong. If we get our doctrine wrong, we'll live wrong. And if we live wrong, we misrepresent who God is. And we're the church of the living God, pillars in support of the truth. So we need to have the gospel nailed. It affects every other aspect, most importantly, representing who God is. Well, if you're not in 1 Timothy 2, make sure you're there. It's page 1187. Let me give you some real quick uh, Backstory to this, Acts chapter 9, Paul enters the town of Ephesus. So Timothy is in Ephesus at this time now. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's giving Timothy some you know, stuff that he needs to know in order to lead this church and help this church be all that God wants it to be. But in Acts 19 is when he first got into Ephesus. And when he went in there, he found 12 guys. And those 12 guys, he, he said they're disciples. In other words, they're, they're following Christ but they didn't really understand the whole salvation thing and the whole Holy Spirit thing. And so Paul kind of gets them nailed down on that. They receive Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit. Now they're truly disciples of Christ. He takes those 12 guys and he spends time with them. And it says like for three months he was debating and challenging the Jewish leaders in the synagogue. After three months, the leaders in the synagogue got a little irritated with Paul because, of course, he's teaching something different than what they're teaching. And so they kind of run him out of the synagogue. So he takes, him to, takes whoever has come to Christ in that crew, the 12 plus maybe some others, and they go to the school of Tyrannus, a school run by a dinosaur. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some guy named Tyrannus, okay? And so um, some of you guys are like, he's so embarrassing. Why do I even come here? Um, so he, he, he takes them to school, and he starts working with them. And for two years... Paul is teaching these people, and they're winning people to Christ. So much so that in two years' time, and you can read it for yourself, Acts 19, the guys who are putting the, the idols, worship, and stuff together for the, the goddess of Diana are losing business. So many people are coming to Christ that the, that the guys who are basically running the temple are saying, well, we're losing income because people are supposed to buy stuff from us in order to go into the temple, but nobody's coming to the temple anymore because Paul keeps on sharing Christ. Not just Paul, but the other people who have come to Christ are sharing Christ, and we're losing business. So they whip up the crowd, and they get everybody upset in town, and they pull some of the Christians uh, in uh, you know, to 
you know, I don't know what, the, what would be the word, because they didn't actually like beat him or anything, but they, they were trying to intimidate him, I guess we'll put it that way. And uh, the Christian said, Paul, get out, get out of here. We need you going around from town to town. We'll handle this. So Paul leaves and goes to other towns. But I think, and again, I'm kind of reading into it, and so this isn't going to be a thus say it to the Lord. It's just kind of me thinking about it. So Paul saw that in two years of peace, because there wasn't any rioting going on for those two years, Paul saw the impact that people who understood the gospel and their responsibility with the gospel, he saw what they could do if they weren't being harassed by persecution. And so then he tells them, after saying, make sure you have the gospel secure, you understand what the gospel is, then the next thing he tells them is not how to set up leadership in a church, it's not how do you make sure everybody in the church is being taken care of. He'll get to that, but he's not doing it. The first thing he tells them to do is what he says in verses 1 through 7, and that's what we're going to read this morning. So, let's get to it. He says this, so again, protect the gospel. We've entrusted it to you. Then he says, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so we may lead tranquil and in a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm, not, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So last week it was protect the purity of the gospel. This week is pray for peace so you can proclaim the gospel. So the very first thing that Paul is telling the church, the followers of Christ, not just in Ephesus, but throughout the world, throughout all time until the Lord returns, is that we are to be praying for peace to proclaim the gospel. So what we're going to do today is we're literally, if you like expository preaching, which means going verse by verse, we're literally going to go verse by verse. Okay? So these, first, these seven verses, we're going to break them down verse by verse. So first verse. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. First of all, that phrase means just what it says. Okay? <laughs> so people are kind of like, well, then why are we mention it? Because I think we forget that God uses words for a reason. All right? So first of all, it means first in the order of expectations. First in importance. So Paul's saying, listen, before everything else, once you got the gospel set, you know what the gospel is and you're protecting that, then you need to be doing something, Christians, and that is pray for peace so you can proclaim the gospel. First of all, most important thing, you need to be praying for peace so you can proclaim the gospel. He says, I urge you. And it's kind of this, like if you can just you know, imagine a football team or a basketball team or something, and they're all kind of coming around. The coach pulls them in, right? You've seen it on TV, you know, the... March Madness or something, they get the kids, and the guy's grabbing the kid, he's yelling at them, you know, you got a block, you got a, you know, whatever. It's Paul pulling everybody together, saying, hey, let's huddle up, huddle up. 
You need to hear this. This is something you need to be doing. This is where you're maybe failing. This is where you need to get better at, whatever. We need to make sure we're doing this. So he's huddling them up. He's urging them. Same word he used when he's talking to Timothy about urging him to stop the false teachers. We're supposed to be praying for all men. So women, we're not praying for you. It's just for the men. Okay, so just I want you to... No, that's not what it says. Because, you, again, you've got to go back to the original words in the Greek. Anthropos means human beings. And it really kind of means all kinds of people. So we need to be praying for all the different kinds of people that are in our lives. All right? Men, women, children, government authorities. Interesting how he throws in the government authorities, isn't it? <laughs> Most Christians are like, I don't want to pray for that president. I don't want to pray for that senator or that representative or that mayor. You know. But Paul's saying, no, we need to be praying for all kinds of people, including kings and all who are in authority. In our case, all these beautiful politicians that we love so much and who have our interest and know exactly what the American people want, they keep telling me that. Um, which, okay, thanks for letting me know what I want. Anyways, getting off of that, moving back to God's Word, he uses four words that represent our prayer life. So this is him emphasizing, another way of emphasizing the importance of this. Whatever kind of prayer you're doing, if it's entreaties, and entreaties has this idea of um, praying for needs. So as, as you're praying for your own needs, for instance, as you're praying to God and saying, hey, meet my needs, also ask for God to meet the needs of all kinds of people that are in your life, including government officials. Okay? So as we're praying, we need to be doing that. And he says, in prayers. And prayers is more of a, a term of worship. So it's almost the attitude that we have while we're praying, that as we're having this time with God, a kind of more personal time, we also need to remember that there's all kinds of people that God needs to impact in our lives. The word, the prayer and petition, they usually go together in the Bible. And so it's this kind of idea. As you uh, enter into God's presence, come before his throne, as Scripture says, as you do that, as you do that you're, not, you're not just coming, you're bringing all these kinds of people with you. They're in your heart and in your mind, and you're thinking about them, you're concerned about them, including your government officials, and it's as if they're all with you, and you're representing them before God. And so you're praying on their behalf, and then, with thanksgiving, that we, we come before him and we thank him for things, including all the people in our lives and the government officials. So this is all happening when we come together to pray. And certainly as a church, when we come together to pray, we need to be praying and thinking about these things and making that kind of a, a focal point of our prayer. Which means that we have to know what's going on in our friends' lives. We have to do all kinds of people in our life. We need to know what's going on. So we know how to pray for them. We know how to pray and ask God to meet their needs. So why do we do that? Well, verse, the end of verse 2 tells us, and this may even sound a little selfish, I suppose, but it, it's not because it has an end result. He says, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life 
in all godliness and dignity. In other words, we need to be praying that God will meet these needs of all these different people, including the government officials, so that we can lead as individuals, but together as a church, a life that is tranquil and at peace. In other words, that we're not going to have any kind of persecution or struggle from without the church, so coming into the church like a government persecuting us, and so that we don't have disruptions and conflicts with inside the church, the church family having divisions, which was happening in Ephesus because the false teachers were trying to get people to move away from Christ and back into the Jewish law. So we need to be praying that all these needs would be met so we don't have this trouble from outside the church or inside the church. Because here's the good thing about persecution. Persecution was great at pushing initially the the Jewish Christians out of Jerusalem. And it pushed them out into the world. And when they got into the world, Christianity didn't stop. Because those people knew the gospel, they knew they were entrusted with the gospel, and they went around telling people about who Jesus Christ was. And then when, there was, when Paul was being persecuted in whatever town he was being persecuted in, he got pushed out to go to another town to tell another town who didn't know about Jesus about Jesus and teach those Christians until people got worked up and they kicked him out again. Persecution is really good at pushing Christians out to do what God wants them to do. But Paul realized that peace, a time of peace, allows Christians to take the energy that would be used to block persecution or to respond to persecution, to take all that energy and put it towards meeting the needs of the people in their lives so they could then share the gospel with them. Peace is a wonderful thing for the church to experience. The United States has experienced incredible peace like nothing any other Christian has ever experienced, because if you read anything about what's going on to Christians around the world, persecution is the norm, but not in the United States. So that we can have a tranquil and quiet life. But then he adds to it, in all godliness and dignity. Godliness is the heart and mind of a person, the attitude that says, I want to I live a life that looks like what God wants. I want to live a life that does life God's way. Dignity has this idea of honesty or seriousness. It's the actual living out of a heart that wants to be godly. So it's actually living the life. You don't just say, boy, I wish I could really live a godly life. You find out what that looks like, and then you actually start living it. Okay. So what Paul's saying is, pray for these all kinds of people in your life and pray for the government authorities so that you can be at peace as a church family so that then you can go ahead and live out that godly life so others can see who God's like. Why? Because we're the church of the living God. We're the pillar and support of the truth. We're representing God to a world that needs him. That's why we're here. And that's just an awesome responsibility for us, these two words are always associated with the gospel. So in other words, only faith in Christ, when you give your life to Christ, and God's adopted you into his family, he gives you the Holy Spirit, that you can have that power, that desire, and then the power to live it. Let me give you a couple of mini points. Uh, I don't know why I come up with these different things, but here's a mini point, all right? Whatever peace 
or lack of trouble that we as individuals or together as a church experience is not given to us as a gift from God, because it really is, because God could allow the government in D.C. to change in a heartbeat so there's persecution. So whatever he's given us as, as that gift is not made or given so that we can continue to build our little kingdom. God's not giving America um, peace within our churches at this time so that we can go ahead and do whatever it is we want to do in our own little lives. He's giving us peace so that we can represent Jesus Christ to a world that needs him. We can take our energy, all of that energy, spiritual energy, and put it towards meeting the needs of others so that we can represent Christ. And maybe point number two, God will use godly Christians to meet the needs of those in our lives. These Christians were so, in, Paul, in Timothy's day, these Christians were so impactful that they almost shut down the number one temple in the world because of their effectiveness in sharing Christ, in loving people, taking care of people, meeting people's needs. God has caused us to be incredibly wealthy, for instance. The, 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 uh, the one here who makes the least amount of money is a king in the rest of the world. All right? If you live below the poverty line, you are wealthy compared to what the world makes financially. And all that God has given us needs to be used towards not building our kingdoms, but building his kingdom and seeing people come to Christ. So Paul continues to explain this, um, what God thinks on this and, and why. So first of all, in verse 3, he says, this is good, or this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our, fa- our Father, our God our Savior. What is good and acceptable? What about what Paul just said, in God's eyes, is good and acceptable? No, this is God's will. He loves this. What is it? That we are praying, we're representing a bunch of people in, fr- in front of him, asking him to meet their needs in order for us to be able to share our faith to share the gospel. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God. It's good and acceptable. In other words, it's God's will. It's God's will for your life. It's God's will for my life. If you're sitting here and you're struggling with, what is God's will for my life? Here's one of God's wills for your life. Pray for all the different kinds of people in your life, including the government officials, that God would meet their needs. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but He's thinking about you, by the way, you meeting their needs. Because you're the one representing him before them. We need to walk, and we talked about this on Friday night with the young adults, we need to daily walk in what is God's known will, and if we do that, we'll get into his, the unknown will. Okay? So us to be faithful to do whatever it is God calls us to do, and the, number one of them is... Pray for the needs of others that we might be able to represent him. Most often, we are the answer to our prayers for others. Do you realize that? Again, one of the reasons why God says for us to come before him in prayer for others 
is because then he's going to give us whatever it is we need in order to meet their need. And when we meet their need, they're going to be, wow, that was really nice. Why did you do that? Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, because the only reason I'm standing here is because of him. And now we can represent him. So here's my catchphrase. We represent others before God. Write this down. If not, go ahead and copy it off of Facebook because I put it up there this morning. We represent others before God so that we can represent God before others. When you get up tomorrow and do whatever it is that God's called you to do, you're getting up in order to represent others before God and then represent God before others. That's pretty simple explanation of what God's will is for our lives. And then Paul goes on to remind us that God is our Savior, so he keeps on pushing this whole gospel thing, right? He doesn't say God is our Father. He says God's our Savior. And then he says this, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. The word desires there refers to God's will of desire, not of decree. So Paul is, again, pushing his whole point. Listen, God desires everybody to come, come to Christ, but he's not going to force them to, it, to do it. He's not a God who forces people into relationship with him. He gives people free will to make a choice as to whether they want to accept him as their Savior or not. So this is referring to his will of desire, not of decree. The word save there is an aorist passive, which means it's something passive, meaning it's done to us. So God is going to save us. We don't save ourselves. Paul's pushing that again. We don't save ourselves through doing some sort of religious ritual, no matter how good or bad the ritual it is. God saves us. It's a, and it's, so that's the passive. The aorist means at a point in time. So there is a point in time where a person comes to a place where they understand, I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God, that Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I'm going to put my faith that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that God will say that I'm declared not guilty, and that he'll put his Holy Spirit into my life and adopt me into his family, and when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. There's a point in time where a person grasps that and understands that. If you've ever talked to me, and I've asked you what your testimony is, and, and I hear something along the lines of, well, I just kind of like always believe that, I try tactfully and lovingly to kind of push on that a little bit because of what Scripture says. We didn't just walk into human birth, right? Some things happened. Now, we may not have been aware of those things, obviously. We talked about that last week. We won't go back there. Um, it scared some of you. But um, in a funny way, it scared you. You've got to be careful. Some people listening to a podcast may not understand what I'm saying. We didn't do anything for our earthly salvation. We don't do anything for our spiritual salvation except put our faith and trust on God. But there's a point in time where that birth happens. And so that's why I challenge people on that point. I don't push it to the point of irritation, but I'll ask. I'll kind of look at that. And this is the knowledge of the truth. This word knowledge here, um, epigenosis is the word. It means uh, intimate, personal understanding. So, of the truth, of the gospel. So, the, this gospel message that we've heard, we don't just hear it and intellectually go, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. That's knowledge. That's just a normal word for knowledge. This is knowledge that moves from the head to the heart, and we grasp it personally for ourselves. And we take hold of it as a personal choice on our behalf, where then God forgives us of our sins 
gives us the Holy Spirit, and we move forward in his power for his purposes, and again, to represent people before God and to represent God before people. So then, so Paul then tells us what's the truth. So he talks about this truth. It's the gospel. He says, for there is one God, verses 5 and 6, for there is one God, one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. He says there's one God. There's only one God that we need to deal with. There's not a bunch of different gods, just one. Okay? He's in three persons, but he's one God that we deal with. There's not a, you know, a large number of gods that we deal with. Only one. And there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. So there's only one man we need to deal with. Okay? It's Jesus Christ. You guys don't have to come to me, confess your sin to me, and then I go to God and say, hey, these people, God, these people are good because they taught to me. Got it? All right? No. We get to go to God through Christ. We get to have a conversation with the God of the universe. You don't need somebody to represent you before him. Jesus Christ is the only representative you need because he was the one who gave himself as a ransom. He paid the ransom price. We and those in our lives who don't know Christ yet, but before we came to Christ, we were held captive by sin. And if we were allowed to stay in that situation, we would then be taken into hell, which is where sin will end up one day. But then Jesus said, I'm going to take their place. I'm going to pay the ransom. I'm going to die the eternal death. Only he could die the eternal death because he's God. So it's not like God saying, yeah, well, I'm just going to make this really hard on all of you guys, and you know, I'm not going to let you do anything, and I'm going to do all the work because I just want to be a mean God. No. <laughs> He's saying, I'm the only one who can fix it, and I'm choosing to fix it. So God the Son puts on flesh, lives a perfect life. That perfect life is given to us at salvation. Then he dies in eternal death to take away our sin. That's then given to us and put on to our credit. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to adopt us into his family. And then he takes us to heaven one day. It's awesome. It's a glorious message, right? The glorious gospel we talked about last week. It's an awesome message. Jesus Christ paid that. And so as we represent people before God, we're praying for God to meet their needs and take care of them so that we can have peace in our life but then it's also so that we can be then saying, okay, God, well, how do I represent you well before those who need Christ? And it's not easy. You know, I'm not saying this is an easy thing. I, I constantly pray and ask God, okay, so how, how do I bring the gospel message to my neighbors who don't seem interested? But it doesn't mean I stop praying for them. It means I maybe pray a little harder, Right? And God, listen, I'm here. I want to do your will. I want to share my faith, my love of Christ with them. How do I do it? Help me to do it. He's going to be teaching me some things through that. He's going to be teaching them about who God is through my response to them. And it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of as long as we don't get all worked up and discouraged. Like I sometimes... <laughs> You know, sometimes I sit on my back porch, I'm like, I don't know, Lord, I just don't know what else you expect of me, you know? But then I confess that and say, I'm sorry, and I get back on track with what he wants. 
Well, and Paul finishes up this challenge by once again <laughs> kind of reminding us of where he fits in all this. He says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So this is the message, this gospel message for which God saved Paul for. Because remember, God does the saving. And so God saved Paul. Jesus Christ died for Paul. Not so that Paul can go off and do whatever he wants to do, but so that Paul could fulfill God's will in his life. And that was to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Then he hands that incredible gospel off to Timothy. And Timothy has been called to be a pastor at a local church. And then Timothy is supposed to entrust that, protect it, keep it pure, hand it off to other faithful men who will give it to other faithful men who will give it to other faithful men. To what we have today. Paul's going to um, challenge Timothy over and over with this. And as he challenges Timothy, he's going to be challenging us as we go through 1 Timothy. That's why I'm saying this is really nailing us as Christians more than maybe you know, for an unsaved person to come and, and hear this stuff. Unless they can Unless God uses it to kind of understand the passion that he has for them. But as we close, let me just give you some takeaways and ask a couple questions of you. First one is this. God has given us unprecedented peace and freedom from persecution. But whose kingdom are you building with that gift? Are you more about, wow, Lord, uh, I just pray that our government will go in a direction that it's that I like for it to go so that I can have peace in my own life and not have all this oh, irritation and frustration that I have with the politics of this world so that I can have a good life and so that I can go to work and be at peace and I can do this and I can do that and I can, I, 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 like a country song, I, 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 me, 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 all right? Talk about I, like I talk about me, like I talk about me, oh my. My fear is the condition of a lot of Christians' lives and the church as a whole by looking at society that we have become followers of Christ who appreciate God's peace that he's given us as a country so that we can build our own kingdom. We don't see our neighbors as people who are dying and going to hell, and so I need to represent them, that as a child of God, as a pillar and support of the truth, that I've got neighbors going to hell, I've got co-workers going to hell, I've got family and friends that are going to hell, and my responsibility for getting up every morning is to represent God to them. And as I spend time with God, I'm, I have all of them with me in my heart and my mind, and I'm asking God, continue with the peace so I can focus in on the people. Secondly, whenever Christians get together to pray... We're really good at praying, as my father-in-law would call it, the, the or, how what do you call it again? The or, organ recital. That's what it was, organ recital. So, you know, he always said, when I get together with Christians, it's all about an organ recital. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you know, my, my bladder is bad, my stomach is bad, my liver is bad, you know, all the organs. You follow me? You with me? I didn't laugh that hard either. But anyways, um, no, we're really good. And I'm not saying it's bad. Okay, don't get me wrong. We should be praying for the needs of others. Right? 
we should be saying in our prayer meeting, and you know, when we get together, say, on Thursday nights, we, we should be praying for our coworker who's going through cancer and having a difficult time. But it can't stop there. And I challenge our guys on Thursday nights, it can't stop there. Because praise God if he would heal our coworker of cancer. But really, if I can be truthful, big deal if he ends up going to hell. Right? So we need to be praying that God will meet the needs of the people. We need to let those people know that we're praying for them so that when God does a work in their life, they come back to us and say, well, this, that, and the other thing has been taken care of. And well, man, excellent. I've been praying about that. And maybe we have a conversation about who God is and the fact that God wants to be their father and that God wants to be the one taking care of them, protecting and providing for them. So as Christians, we need to be building God's kingdom and we need to be praying for people, but we need to be praying for the needs to be met so that we can have an inroad in order to share the gospel. That's what Jesus was doing on earth, by the way. Did you notice? Jesus is going around healing people not just to heal them, but so that he could represent God to them, so he could tell them who God was. So as a church, I want to invite you to come to two events in August as we get, start kicking off into the school year, into winter. Number one is it's a Saturday, August 11th. We're going to have a prayer retreat. It's not, not a real long thing, um, you know, from 9 to noon. And we're going to spend time together as a church family, Praying, worshiping God, standing before the Lord, and we're going to have behind us all the different kinds of people that are in our lives, including our government officials, and we're going to say, God, how do you want us to come together as individuals, human resource, financial resource, whatever you want to call it, how do you want us to come together to make the greatest impact for Jesus Christ in our community? And I'm going to challenge our church family, us here this morning, that it starts with our neighborhood. So it starts with you in your neighborhood. It starts with me in my neighborhood. But we're going to brainstorm ideas. We have two families, for instance, that are doing these barbecues. They've committed to do them. We're going to invite their neighbors. You know, we need to be praying for them. We need to be encouraging them. Second one is the brainstorm and barbecue, which we've been talking about. Sunday, uh, 8.26, after the morning service, we're going to get together in the quad. We're going to have food and uh, enjoy that. But then also brainstorm. Okay, we've spent time in prayer about it, Lord. Now, give us some understanding of where you want us to go. There's a bunch of different ideas, but what's the best idea for us to do? Ideas to do. All right, sound good? Sound like a plan? So we give you some tools, some ways to actually, you know, work out what God's called us to do. Let's go ahead and stand, and I'll go ahead and let you, I'll close in prayer, but then let you get on with your day. Um, don't, uh, don't tell Kim I told you, but it's her birthday today. So if you see her, wish her a happy birthday, but I didn't tell you. All right. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you for the incredible gospel message that Jesus Christ, God the Son, put on flesh, lived a perfect life, died in an eternal death, and then rose again to defeat sin and death on our behalf. It's not just a good story, Lord. It's the truth. It's, it's what makes the gospel so awesome. Lord, I pray that we as your children 
that we would be about your desire, that we would pray for those in our lives, including our government officials, that you would meet their needs, and that then, Lord, through those, we'll find a peace and tranquility in our own life in order to share Christ with those. Thank you for letting us be a part of that incredible mission that millions over the years have been a part of. Motivate us, Father. Encourage us, strengthen us, help us to see the people who need the help. And give us the power to do it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thanks for